You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Hear God's word. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Please pray with me. Dear God, thank you for giving Mo, Daniel, and me the opportunity to share what we've learned about you today. As we read your word and prepare to hear it preached, Please open our ears and hearts to what you want to say through us. May the words that we speak be pleasing to you. Thank you again for placing us here today and teaching us about how we can bring you to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, church. My name is Emily Ellen, and I am a senior at Freeman High School. I know I can speak for all three of us by saying that we are very excited to be here this morning and to be able to speak to y'all. As you can probably already tell, the scripture we will be speaking on today is about being the salt and light of the world. But before I jump into discussing the passage, I want to recap what has happened in the 12 verses leading up to our passage today so I can give some context for the placement of our excerpt. As I'm sure many of you know, Matthew 5 is the beginning of a three-chapter long sermon that Jesus gives called the Sermon on the Mount. And to begin his sermon, Jesus introduces eight crucial characteristics known as the Beatitudes that those who are living in the kingdom of God should work to exhibit. And I think it's important to recognize that these verses are the closest that Jesus gets to leaving us with a step-by-step instruction manual for following him and living a life that honors God. And I think the Beatitudes go beautifully hand-in-hand with the verses that we will be looking at today because they give us an applicable way in which we can live out being the salt and light of the world. And to follow up the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus knows that his followers will be persecuted for preaching the gospel and following him. But but this does not stop him from calling us to do so in the next few verses. It can be challenging to preach the gospel while knowing we will be persecuted, but it is important to still do so. This past year, the Lord has given me so many wonderful examples of students at my school who share God's gospel in the classroom with courage. For instance, each year, there's a competition called We the People that seniors taking AP government compete in. And each class is divided into six groups, and each group is assigned a prompt that relates to the Constitution that they can unpack and explore and discuss. And one of the group's prompts um, related to the Protestant Reformation And I was amazed when it came to competition day that one of the group members, when um, his group was asked questions, uh, replied confidently by quoting the Bible and um, talked about his faith. 
And although he got some weird looks from his classmates, he stood firm in what he was saying. And this was very inspirational to me and should encourage all of us to be bold in our faith, even when it may be challenging. Okay, so now that we understand what leads up to our passage, I'm going to focus on verse 13. So let me read it again. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Yeah, after reading the verse, the first thing that came to my mind was why salt? I mean, he could have chosen sugar because without its sweetness, sugar also does not have a purpose. Well, there are a few reasons why I think Jesus chose salt. And the first one is when he chose salt as a metaphor, he knew that salt was something that every household would own, no matter how wealthy or how poor they were. Unlike other spices or sugars, which were probably more expensive and less common, less likely to be common in the households of the people he was preaching to. And although salt was common, it was also very valuable because of its many uses. And so this allowed Jesus's uh, listeners to recognize that they were valuable and needed in the world. Secondly, salt during Jesus's time was likely a white powder from the Dead Sea that contained sodium chloride along with some other components. But because of sodium chloride solubility, it would easily wash out, leaving the white powder looking like salt, but without the saltiness. Now, just to be clear, Chemistry was never my forte, and so I opted to take it as few years as I possibly could. So I'm not sure why sodium chloride is so soluble, but it amazes me that this can happen. Anyways, the saltless white powder was left as road dust just to be trampled underfoot. And this was a tangible example for the people Jesus was preaching to because many of them likely experienced salt losing its saltiness because of their proximity to the Dead Sea. And Jesus frequently uses common examples throughout the Bible to emphasize that he is one of us and relates to us. And then lastly, Jesus isn't just talking about salt's flavor. Yes, he directly mentions salt's saltiness and its ability to add flavor, but he's also thinking about salt's ability to preserve fish, meat, and vegetables. Before refrigeration, salt was the best way to keep these foods from spoiling. And I think relating salt's ability of preservation to the purpose and goal of Christians is beautiful. Jesus is calling us to be the salt of the world, preserving humanity from falling into ungodliness. By sharing the word of God, we are introducing these virtues, such as the Beatitudes, into a society which usually doesn't act this way. And through our example that we are called to set, we, as followers of God, are urging others to begin living similar lives that glorify him. And little by little, this begins to preserve the world from falling into the destruction and decay that selfishness and anger and judgment brings. The world cannot avoid sin, and sin has left our world a broken place. But by being the salt of the world, we are preserving the things that God originally intended, like mercy and love and forgiveness and compassion. All right, so now that we've looked at why Jesus chose salt, let's go back to what is directly included in the verse. And to do this, I also want to read the message translation because I really liked the way that it was worded. It says, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. I love the imagery of being the God flavors of the world. Salt permanently changes the flavor of food, just like we can flavor the world through showing God's love. In the words of John Stott, a theologian and author, Christian saltiness is Christian character as depicted in the Beatitudes. Okay, so now we're connecting the Beatitudes to the verses that we have today, right? Yep, okay. So we're serving a godly purpose and being the salt of the world by simply living as the Bible calls us to, 
but we cannot lose the saltiness that allows us to be so influential in the world. Without repentance and righteousness and mercy, we aren't serving a godly purpose, and we are like salt without flavor and without a purpose. A quote I heard the other day that I really liked said, certain qualities are as innate to a born-again believer as saltiness is to salt. This past summer, I had a counselor at the camp I go to, summer's best two weeks, and she was so passionate about the Bible and the Lord, and each day it was so apparent that she was truly living for God. When we did our Bible studies in the afternoon, she was able to reference other verses from memory, relating them to what we were discussing, and her knowledge about the history and context of the Bible was truly incredible. But on top of all of that, she was enthusiastic about every chapter and every verse that we read. And I remember thinking, I want to be that on fire for God. You know, I want to be eager to learn more and read more. She made godliness look really attractive and she's a beautiful example of Christians flavoring the world. Simply the way she talked about the word and carried out what she taught was contagious and brought flavor into my life. In Mark 9:50, it says to have salt in yourselves. In order to bring saltiness to the world, we need to have salt within us. There is nothing sin has not touched, so it's important to remember that the church needs salt too. Our saltiness will bring out God in the world and in the church. We have to live out what the Bible calls us to and lead a life of faithfulness to God. We cannot just preach the word and simply call ourselves Christians. We know the world is in need of God, and we are called to be the seasoning that brings his love to those around us. We are called to live out the Beatitudes with courage, aware that although it will not be easy, it will be good. Church, let us not lose our saltiness, and let us be the God flavors of the earth. Now, I thought I was going to be less nervous from practicing first time, but I still feel the same amount of nervousness. <laughs> so, good morning, third. I'm Mohab um, Riyadh. If that name is hard, you can call me Mo. I'm a senior at Freeman High School, as the same as Emily. Something awesome is that my parents are actually part of the Christian Arabic Church, but I've decided to join third due to how amazing it is. And I was born in Egypt, but at a young age, my parents saw that they can give us a better opportunity if we move to the United States, which they did, and they decided to. They gave up everything, their family, their wealth, their status, for me and my brothers to move out here. And that's why I say they're the biggest blessing in my life right now. So with all that, today I'm blessed to talk about Matthew 5, verse 14 and 15. I'm grateful to speak about this, and hopefully the Holy Spirit works through me. So as Emily helped us see where salt, where salt is, wherever salt is, present, it is obvious Jesus keeps going with this idea by saying Christians are the light of the world. What is the light in verse 14 and 15? It means to me, what it means to me is the light of the world is the Holy Spirit that is in us as Christians. Now, what does that mean deeply? It means that we are blessed, we, we have the blessing to share the Spirit of God who who's within us. A great example is in Matthew 10, when the disciples were told they were going to be paired up in two and going out, doing the miracles and preaching of the great, the great word of God due to the Holy Spirit that's guiding them and giving them the knowledge. Now that we have an understanding of what the light is, I want to talk about verse 15, the light 
being under the bowl. And verse 14, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Now those two are the two I want to focus on. And what they point out to us is that there's two types of Christians. There's the one that just goes through the motion and is just a Christian because they're born up to be and doesn't explore their faith more and shy away from it. And this is true since I was that Christian. I was born up going to church, going through the motion, and did not want to explore more about faith. But being a Christian is so much more than that. I think many of us, so I think many of us love the sport of football. And due to also me playing football in high school for four years now, I have seen players, I've seen play this play out with the team. What I have seen is there are two types of players as there are two types of Christians. There's one that's just there to be there, have fun, and to wear the jersey on game day and not grow the team or any more. They go through they go through the right motion, but are not really part of the team. They miss out on what is really means to be a football player and to be a part of a team. It's like they it's like they have put their football light under a bowl. For us to say we are Christian, but for our for the rest of our lives no one can tell that we are. It's like putting our Holy Spirit light under a bowl. Jesus talks about the opposite of having our light under a bowl in verse 14. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, this is the Christian that keeps building their faith with God and wants to learn more and share the glory of God. And when it says, a town built on a hill, I believe it's talking about a Christian that has a sturdy and great foundation with their faith with God, can never be hidden, but always will shine their light, and God will help you, God will find a way to help you shine your light. God has helped me find my way, be, my way in being a Christian without a bull over me, through meeting these wonderful people I call my best friends now, that I met through youth group as they helped me see the glory of God because of the way they had their light shine so that I could see it. God will have a light for every house and every person, and that light will help others see the light, and it gives and be given the light by God. It will help build another person who can share the light. This is like the football player that I mentioned the second one. He's the one that comes out every day and builds the team up and tries their hardest no matter how much times they fall. Now, I'm not saying to come up on a stage and preach. I'm just grateful today and lucky that I get the opportunity to. But I am saying at least share it with your neighbors or friends because if Jesus comes down to earth right now from heaven, are you going to be the Christian that looks down and your friend looks up at you and says, how could you not share the light, this glory of us? Or are you going to be the Christian that lifts up everyone that they know and shows the true glory of God and that looks down and their friends come up to heaven with them? This is something between you and God to talk about.
and for the little ones. I got a song. It's called This Little Lot of Mine. It's a kid's song, but the words are for everyone. But now, please welcome up Daniel Murphy as he describes more of the light. Thank you so much. Good morning. My name is Daniel Murphy, and I'm a senior at Veritas School. This morning, I'll be focusing on Matthew 5:16, where Christ says, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. To understand this idea that Mo brought up of letting our light shine for everyone through our good works, I want to look through four, I want to work through four questions. How do we let our light shine? Where does it come from? Who does it glorify? And lastly, what does it accomplish? First, what does it mean to let our light shine? When Jesus tells the crowd to let their light shine before others, what light does he mean, and how are they supposed to do this? Isaiah 42.6 tells us that the Lord called those same people to be a light unto the nations. Israel was to be a source of light for the world, pointing others to God. As God's people and followers of Christ, letting our light shine means loving those around us as we have been loved, forgiving those who have wronged us as we have been forgiven, and serving our neighbors as we have been served. In high school, I've seen the light of Christ reflected in my chemistry teacher, Dr. D. He is like a grandfather figure to the school, and as of this month, a new grandfather. Dr. D knows every student's name and genuinely cares about each of them. He attends their performances and is an invested audience member at many of their athletic events. He was always willing to talk with me after class about pre-calculus and chemistry, about the choices between colleges, and about the pains and rewards of friendship. I've also been guided by the light of Christ here at Third through my youth group leaders, Robert and Doug, who have given up so much of their time to counsel our senior small group. They've talked to me outside of church and met me for breakfast and helped me to turn to God time after time. It's clear that they, like Paul, are not ashamed of the gospel. These mentors in my life, if they were not Christians, would perhaps be friendly or polite, but the intentional and selfless guidance they have poured into my life is truly the light of God. Which brings me to the next question. Where do we get the light? The light that we shine is not our own. As Mo already said, it flows out of the life of Christ within us. James 1.17 aptly states, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And John 1.4 says along the same lines, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The life of Christ and the Holy Spirit that he has given to us is the light we walk by and the light that we shine into the lives of others. Once more, we are not the source of our own light. And this is a thought, this is a fact that I often struggle with. Like a man furiously pedaling on a cycling machine to power a flickering light bulb, I often try to will my own light. But this striving is always in vain. Instead, we are called to be like lighthouses in the storm, reflecting God's light into the darkness. As we nourish the flame we have been given through prayer, worship, and the study of God's word, our reflected light cuts through the chaos of culture, exposing treacherous reefs and guiding wayward ships back home. In John 8, Jesus teaches, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This verse clearly shows that if we desire to have the light of life, we must follow after Jesus. We can now see that the light comes from God, but the question of who the light should glorify is just as important. So who does it glorify? 
Matthew 5.16 has an interesting counterpart in Matthew 6.1, where Christ teaches, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. This verse is an antithesis to Matthew 5.16. The difference between these two verses is nuanced, but it lies in the motivation behind our actions. Those who selflessly seek to use their gifts in order to honor the giver grow. However, those who use their gifts so that others will admire them are only inflated. Every time we strive to serve others, we must ask ourselves, am I doing this for God's glory or simply for a good reputation? As it has been said many times in this pulpit, God is opposed to earning, not effort. In the same way, a good act done for selfish reasons is still worth doing. However, don't simply shine so that others can see you. Shine so that through you, others can see Jesus. Lastly, what does this accomplish? Jesus is fairly straightforward on why we should let our light shine. It is to glorify God and to draw others closer to him. The song Shine by Newsboys has stuck with me since I was eight, and I was actually listening it to this morning, listening to it this morning in preparation. The chorus begins with the words, shine, make them wonder what you got, make them wish that they were not on the outside looking bored. This idea of bewildering others with our love and generosity is both amusing and beautiful. Even Mark Twain taught, always do the right thing. This will gratify some people and astonish the rest. <laughs> Lastly, a, a quote I heard a while ago is that the melody of Christianity is more easily understood than the lyrics. And this is a powerful testament to the proverb that actions speak louder than words. This idea of drawing, of drawing others to the light of Christ is not a new idea. And it is found in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah where God speaks to his people saying, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. As we leave today, let's remember that we have been called to preserve the God flavors in the world, to shine like a city on a hill in a way that brings those around us closer to Christ, and to mystify them with the greatness of the love of God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for calling us to be salt and light in your world and giving us the ability to be those things. Help us to shine for your glory and not simply for ourselves, and to serve as your salt and your light wherever you place us. In your son's holy name, amen.